Welcome to Don't Box Me In, the show that features conversations with people from all walks of life, talking about their extraordinary experiences and inspirational messages. Now, here's your host, Lana Reed. Hello, hello, and welcome. I am Lana Reed, and this is Don't Box Me In. Today's show is a little bit different, but that's what it's all about, unique and out-the-box topics. My guest today is a private investigator, and the U.S. Bureau of Labor Statistics is predicting great demand for private investigators and detectives in the coming years. According to the Bureau of Labor Labor Statistics, from 2010 to 2020, the field will experience a job growth rate of 21%. In uh, May of 2011, there were about 26,000 private detectives and investigators nationwide, uh, and they earned, on average, an annual salary of $48,610. Ed Opperman, ce- celebrity investigator to the stars, has spent many years in the industry, even serving as part of the congressional investigation and hearing into the Secret Service agent's misconduct in Columbia. Today, he will share with us more about the industry and how to break into it. It is with pleasure that I welcome Ed to the show. Ed, welcome to Don't Box Me In. Lana, thank you for having me. No problem. My pleasure. My pleasure. Now, let me say this. What you do is very, very interesting. Was this always your first career choice? Yeah, I think it was. Uh, me and my friend, uh, we went down to take the police test. Mm-hmm. And, but, but I always, uh, always liked the, uh, the PI work. And mm-hmm. I didn't become a cop. He did. He became a real hero cop, uh, NYPD Harbor Aviation, involved in some... Uh, he was in that helicopter that you see when the second plane hits the uh, World Trade Center. Okay, uh, okay. Oh, yeah, and he was on the plane that, you know, Sully was the, the, the pilot that landed in the Hudson. You know, he was he did uh, a rescue on it. So, uh, but I went private, and okay. I went into this PI's office in Brooklyn, and I walked into his office, and uh, he had all these certificates and all these uh, diplomas on his wall, like everything, uh-huh. fingerprint examination, uh, um, uh, question document examination, all these courses. He was a, a ballistics uh, investigator, and... Mm-hmm. Uh, did the bug sweeps and all this kind of stuff. And he was a gunsmith. He had guns, you know, a shoulder holster. Mm-hmm. And I said, wow, man. I said, I want this, <laughs> You know? This and is I, me. I off, yeah, I loved it. <laughs> so um, I was reading a little bit about you, and I, I definitely, definitely hear the uh, New Yorker accent somewhere in there. So growing up in uh, the streets of New York, you, you kind of started on the other side of private investigation before – as a as a young kid, correct? You were kind of involved in some troubled stuff, or did I read that wrong? Well, first of all, I lost my accent. I don't know what you're talking about. Uh, no, no, I'm sure everybody <laughs> hears that. <laughs> I know. I got to talk a little slower. Okay. <laughs> yeah, I grew up in the Bronx. Uh, okay. You know, in that South uh, South Bronx, you know, Soundview Avenue, uh, right by the number yeah. six line. Yeah, my cousin's and there I, in the Bronx. Yeah. Well, there you go. Then you know the area. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And this was back in the '70s, so I got mixed up in the gangs. And uh, all of that, and then uh, when we moved to Staten Island, it was a real, uh, it was a culture shock. Okay. Because you know, we went from a black Puerto Rican neighborhood to like an Italian Irish kind of neighborhood. Okay. And uh, so I'm Cuban, so I'm always kind of like in the middle, <laughs> you know. <laughs> I can get along with anybody. <laughs> but in Staten Island, it was these other uh, kind of gangsters uh, and gangbangers because you had the mafia guys. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, your friends, you know, their, their uncles and their fathers would be in the newspapers and on nightclubs and on racehorses. Uh, so I, I learned to, to hang out with those kind of guys. 
And then, uh, then I went, and I, uh, even more so, I was hanging out with uh, the Yippies in New York City on the Lower East Side of Manhattan. <laughs> I was a political activist and a social protester for civil rights and justice and economic justice. Mm-hmm. And a street protester, like an anarchist kind of guy. So I've been, I've, I've weaved my way through the whole thing, you know, uh, dealing with the street gangs, to the, to the mobsters, to the protesters. Uh, then with the, the, the private investigation world, with the defense lawyers and some big uh, organized crime cases. I was involved in the Pizza Connection trial and okay. uh, the commission trial. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I've been involved in a lot of stuff. Okay. So, um, you know, I see all of that in some sort of way. It does set the foundation for, you know, leading into the private investigation field that you're in now. But um, before all of this, you had a couple of other business adventures that you were involved in before who we who you are today. Is that correct? Sure. And what, what kind of things were you doing before you became a private investigator? Well, it, it kind of, it's like been in and out. Okay. okay. I started out as, a, as an information broker, uh, which was, uh, I would buy and sell information. I had a source back in, like, I guess it was like 1979, 1980, mm-hmm. uh, where uh, I had a source in a phone company that if you gave me an unlisted phone number, I could give it to my source, and he would come back with a list of every phone call made from that phone number, all the local uh, usage and oh, the long wow. distance number. Oh yeah, this is back in 1980. This was worth a fortune back in those days. Okay. I could get their real name and address. I could get their work phone number, sometimes their bank account number, and their social security number. Wow. In this report, right? So this was a gold mine, and that's how I made such a big name for myself among uh, other PIs in New York and other lawyers and and big uh, civil rights lawyers like William Kunstler and Ron Coopy mm-hmm. and Gerald Lefcourt, like the, the, the gold, the, the stars, the, the Oscar winners. Wow. <laughs> the rights attorneys, you know, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Just from a phone number. I mean, that's amazing. You know, you, we as regular folks, we tend to take so much of our day-to-day activity. It's so innocent, and we don't think we're making imprints on this world. But um, it's easy for individuals like you to kind of track down almost all of our movements from just the smallest of details. I mean, I think that's just amazing. It really is. I think the average person would be shocked of, of what could be picked up in, in just a matter of minutes uh, of what they're up to. Okay, okay. So officially, when did you um, – well, I guess you started with the buying and the selling of information. That's kind of along the private um, investigation field. But officially, when do you say you started with the industry that you're in now? Well, I was working out of a PI's office there in Brooklyn, so I was working okay. for him as an investigator as well. Um, but then I left that, and I really left. You, really, you never really leave this kind of lifestyle. <laughs> uh, but I went into a nightclub business. Uh, okay. I went into, uh, I owned part of an advertising agency. Okay. I owned a, uh, a horse and carriage that goes around Central <laughs> Park. <laughs> uh, let me think. Then I, then I went into the beeper and cell phone business, and uh, I was the first guy in the whole country to go into a mall and sell beepers and cell phones from a kiosk in a mall. Uh-huh. And you're telling you're, you're telling your age because I don't think if people say beepers anymore, right? They're pagers, or I mean, you're really guess, telling how yeah. old we are. <laughs> I know, uh-huh. but I guess if you look at my pitchy stuff all day, I can't hide much, you know. <laughs> okay, so uh, we had a couple of uh, different business ventures there. I mean, what what brought you to the nightclub industry, if I can ask? Good question. Um, it was sort of an, it started out as an, you know, I was always into the nightlife, you know, mm-hmm. and, uh, and, uh, I just, uh, had some money to invest. I was doing very well. And I ran into these guys that were, they were opening up a nightclub and they needed money because they were having trouble with their landlord. So okay. I got in there and I bailed them out. And, uh, that's how I got a hold of the, uh, because I had a lien. Part of my investment was a lien against the horse and carriage medallion. 
Okay. So when I went to collect my money, you know, I wound up with this horse and carriage. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so it's all purely circumstantial here. Cir- yeah, circumstantial. So. Pretty much. Did I lose you? Oh, I'm here. Can you hear me? Oh, yeah, yeah. I thought I lost you for a second, yeah. Oh, no, no. So I've been around New York to uh, see the horse and carriage thing there in the park. And is that a pretty profitable industry? Just curious. Well, at, at the time, it was a nice little business. Okay. okay. And I had to, we had to actually repo the horse and carriage from, from the guy who I was collecting oh, the money no. from. Oh, yeah. It, that's a hysterical <laughs> story. <laughs> I had to hire a couple of local uh, repo guys in New York City and we chased it down with our cars and we pulled it. <laughs> there, there was a couple in the back on a date. <laughs> you know? Oh, no. <laughs> and then we, we pried the medallion off of it, you know. Oh. And, uh, and, oh, yeah. That was a whole crazy story. Repoing the horse and carriage. Who would have ever thought? <laughs> yeah, like like a Butch Cassidy, you know. <laughs> yes, <laughs> yes, okay. Taking down a horse in the middle of Manhattan, you know. Yeah, you know, you have these 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 reality TV shows on today about you know the repo man, and you know you see them getting the cars and stuff, but you never really think about a horse. Like who repos a horse at a carriage? But that had to be comedy. It had to be oh, comedy. Yeah. <laughs> I'm pretty sure I was one of the first guys ever to do it. Yeah, true. So let me ask you this. So you you um you started after your business ventures. You started as a private investigator. You said you were working out of somebody's office. Did you start to take classes? Is there some sort of training? I guess I'm asking to become a private investigator. Yeah, there is. Um, oh. You can uh well depending on what state you're in. Every state has different licensing requirements. And in mm-hmm. New York State at the time, it was like a uh, associate's degree in criminal justice. And like mm-hmm. two years working under another investigator, mm-hmm. so and that, that's how I managed to do that. I, I got, went to co- uh, college for uh, uh, paralegal studies, mm-hmm. so I had my associates in that, and we were able to apply that toward my PI license in New York at the time. Plus, working under this other investigator. Um, okay. But every state's different, and that's why I, I wrote a book on uh, how to succeed as a private investigator: a step-by-step guide uh, to a con- career in investigations. And it has uh, every state's licensing requirements in there. Okay, okay. But uh, generally speaking, across the board, across the states, do you have to have some sort of schooling or some certain states will let you get by without having to go to school? Oh, yeah, there's definitely some states that will let you get by without uh, going to school. Uh, there's some states that will let you get by without taking a test. Um, really? Uh, oh, yeah. I think I believe it's Arizona where you don't have to take a test. Um, okay. And uh, certain states like uh, Missouri and Idaho have no uh, uh, licensing requirements whatsoever. Uh, you okay. can just go set up shop. Uh, but in general, and there's also, too, I'm not a big fan of the PI courses that you see in the back of magazines or you find okay. on the Internet. Uh, you want to take a criminal justice course. Mm-hmm. Uh, you want to take law classes. Paralegal is, is good. Paralegal studies is, is a good application to, a, uh, to work as a private investigator. A lot of people don't realize that private investigators do a lot of criminal defense work. So if you mm-hmm. have that, that paralegal background where you can help write motions and you can help write uh, discovery and subpoenas, uh, okay. that you're in demand. You know, for these lawyers, love a guy who's an all-around kind of guy that can come into your office and take over a case. Got you, got you. So um, since you're going to be tied in some way down the line with the court system, it's kind of best you get get in there and get some working knowledge of it right off the bat then. Oh, Absolutely. Got you, got you. Now, is it possible, because you, you do mention that all these different states have different rules, and um, 
you're in Henderson, Nevada right now. Is it possible for a private investigator to work anywhere across the United States, or are you kind of limited to only working in your state? A couple of things. Um, uh, my, my PI office is based out of uh, Colorado Springs, Colorado. Okay. In, okay. in Henderson, Nevada, we have a, a digital forensics laboratory where we do uh, cell phone and computer forensics. Okay. Um, now, you can uh, headquarter in one state. If you begin an investigation, let's say in the state of California, mm-hmm. and that investigation causes you to, you're following somebody, and uh, the, the, the investigation initiates in the state you're licensed in, but it carries over into another state. Uh, you can do that. You're allowed mm-hmm. to do that. If you need to okay. testify in another state, like I can fight any state if I do digital forensics and I can testify in a court in any state. Uh, I'm death penalty qualified to testify in okay. death penalty trials. Um, and other circumstances, sometimes you need to get a local PI and work under their license and work out a little uh, arrangement with them, a sub rosa, it's called. Okay. Where, uh, yeah, they're working under you. And that's really common where everybody, everybody knows each other in this business. We all know each other. Everybody okay. gossips about each other behind <laughs> each other's back. <laughs> you know, watch women. It's like a sewing circle in this industry. But, uh, but you can, you know, you can work things out like that. Okay. Okay. So it's not, uh, you know, a situation where you cross the border to California, like, oh, you know, I've got to stop. I can't go any further. There are some mechanisms in place where you can continue on with your investigations then. Oh, yeah. If you're in hot pursuit, yeah, you can go. Okay. Cool stuff. And um, I want to know, what would you recommend? What type of person would you recommend to be good to be a uh, private investigator? What kind of personality traits are required? Yeah, uh, if you're good at uh, solving puzzles. Uh, a lot of a lot of people come to me and they say, you know, I'd make a great PI because uh, I'm psychic, you know, or uh, <laughs> <laughs> I'm great at hunches, you know. But uh-huh. you, no, I don't, I don't care what your opinion is or what your psychic opinion or what. <laughs> <laughs> Who cares what you think, you know? Yeah. You want to be able to. You want to observe and report. You want to observe what's going on. You want to document your observations and then create a report. Um, so, but a guy who's good at puzzle solving. Because mm-hmm. every investigation is different. You have to figure out uh, what information you need to, to achieve your goal um, from this investigation. Like it could be an infidelity investigation. And, you know, well, what do we want to do? Do we want to do forensics on them, cell phone forensics, computer forensics? Do we want to trace his email back to dating sites? Do we want to do surveillance? Uh, do we want to look at his assets and see where the money's going? So you have to figure that out first. And then you, you need to be creative and, and solve problems along the way. Good person at connecting the dots. Okay, understood. But well, you also got to be kind of a kind of a nerdy kind of guy who can do the reports, <laughs> you know. And, gotcha. Yeah, and get those reports out on time and, and and document everything you're doing and dot every i and cross every t. Okay. Well, it's time for the first break. Ed, hang in. We're going to have a commercial. And we'll be right back. Welcome back to Don't Box Me In. Here's your host, Lana Reed. Hello, hello. Welcome back to Don't Box Me In. Today I am with Ed Opperman, author of How to Succeed as a Private Investigator, a step-by-step guide to a career in investigations. And, uh, Ed, the next question I wanted to ask you um, is, uh, in your experience over the years that you've been doing this, what are some of the reasons that people come to you and hire private investigators? 
Oh boy. Well, I guess the main reason is they have a problem. You know, people come <laughs> to me with their yeah, they have a problem, and that's the first thing I ask them. Okay, you know, well, what do you got? What do, what's your problem? Mm-hmm. You know, and uh, it's either a cheating spouse is very common. Uh, I do a lot of uh, uh, cyber stalking investigations, mm-hmm. internet defamation, uh, that kind of stuff. A lot of that. Okay, mm-hmm. pretty much my my uh, background is with email tracing, tracing emails back to identify the person behind an email. Mm-hmm. I do a lot of forensic work too, where people send me their cell phones to recover deleted text messages out of the phone and uh, okay. create a report that could be used in court. So a guy may come to me; they may have a criminal case pending. Uh, they may mm-hmm. have a, uh, they think their spouse is cheating, or mm-hmm. they're a victim of some kind of fraud or a uh, uh, stalking kind of thing, harassment. Okay. Okay. And you mentioned uh, one of your specialties is uh, digital forensics investigation. Um, could you kind of give me some more details about that? What exactly is that? Well, I tell you, it, it's fairly new. You know, uh, mm-hmm. everyone knows about computer forensics. Okay. And, uh, you know, because you see it on TV all the time where someone will send me a hard drive and will recover the data that's on the hard drive and you create a report that can be used as an exhibit in court. And then you, you follow that up with providing expert testimony uh, as an mm-hmm. expert witness in court. So you can go in and testify. Like you see it in these cases, like with um, just recently you saw it with this Travis Alexander case. Yes. Right, with uh, Travis Alexander and Jody Arias. Mm-hmm. And they had a guy in there testify. And what a lot of people don't know, see, I can see what the guy's testifying to, and I can understand what he's trying to get out. But mm-hmm. the, in that case, the, the lawyers were not asking him the right questions, which is very frustrating when you testify. <laughs> and, yeah, and he was trying to testify that when Jody Aries came over, Travis Alexander was on his laptop, and he was doing this, he was doing that. But what he was trying to get forward was that Travis Alexander was logged into his ex-girlfriend's Gmail account. Mm-hmm. And, but, and I could understand what he was saying. Mm-hmm. But but it just it just fell flat. It wasn't reported in the news. It was never brought up in the uh, the the, uh, the case uh, the closing arguments or anything like that. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, digital forensics. Okay, right. Uh, so that's the computer forensics. Now, what's pretty new that started in about two thousand three was cell phone forensics. Mm-hmm. Uh, cell phone forensics were pretty new, but uh, phones cell phones were pretty uncommon back in those days, and they just started with the more uh, smartphone type uh, and texting with the phones. Mm-hmm. And uh, what happened was uh, the, these guys who were chasing Bin Laden in in, mm-hmm. in Afghanistan for the CIA uh, and cloning his phone and, and cloning phones there and examining phones there on the ground uh, in Afghanistan had come back to the United States, and they were kind of just hanging around the airport, and they decided to go into the business because <laughs> they oh, had all wow. this money. Yeah, it's, it's a, that's an amazing story. Uh-huh. So they came back, and the, the Army kind of just dropped them off at the airport, and they had no employment or anything lined up. Wow. Uh, yeah, because they were civilian contractors for the intelligence uh, in, uh, industry, you know. Mm-hmm. And so they, they knew how to write the software, and they started creating cell phone forensic software where... Mm-hmm. We could take the cell phones and do the same thing you could do with the computers, where you could recover deleted data, deleted pictures, um, text messages, and uh, create a report that you can use in court. Now, as soon as I started hearing about this in 2003, I says, hey, I can apply that to infidelity investigations. Mm -hmm. And if you think your boyfriend's cheating on you, send me his phone or or send that old phone, and let's see what what he has to hide. Wow. So for the layman out there like me and some other folks in my audience who I have a smartphone, when I click delete on my text messages, what you're basically saying is it really doesn't go. It's still there to be accessed, correct? Exactly. It can be recovered 
as long as new debt, that no new data comes in to overwrite that unallocated space. When you okay. erase something, there's space there that's available for new data to cover it up. And okay. as long as you don't cover it up, it's there. We can get it back. Wow. I mean, you know, we just we just assume delete means delete, but guess not. <laughs> no, it just means you can't see it, but it's there. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So you've... Uh, uh, presented one of the reasons that people uh, hire a private investigator, which we hear all the time, it has to do with relationships and dating. And I think in today's world, especially with what you do, uh, Internet technology has provided a lot of new dilemmas uh, for us. Um, would you recommend as a private investigator, you know, if I come to you and, you know, say, hey, Ed, I'm dating this new guy, you know, um, do you recommend people kind of thoroughly checking people out using private investigation services before starting new relationships or or no? You know, I wrote an article uh, called a Background Check Before the First Date or Before It's Too Late. Mm-hmm. You know, the thing is, do you really want to get involved with someone uh, and find out that they're totally not the person that they're telling you they are? You know, mm-hmm. now there's a, I invented this little investigation. It's called an online infidelity investigation, where mm-hmm. if you give me your boyfriend's email or a pr- prospective date, you give me their email address. Mm-hmm. And we can trace that back to all the different online dating websites and social networks and even porn sites and escort service sites and gambling sites. Mm-hmm. So if you meet a guy on Christian Mingles, mm-hmm. or, you, know, you know, fine, you give me his email address. Now what if I find him on gay.com or mm-hmm. com? Mm-hmm. That may not be the guy you want to date or True. the other way around. You, know, you may be into the fetish and he's fine. You, <laughs> <laughs> uh, you don't like him either. <laughs> But either way, we could find out is the point. True. Okay. So I guess that's kind of the world that we live in now. I mean, because where we're at with background checking people just for relationship purposes, we never used to go through that before. You'd meet a girl, you meet a guy, and, you know, hey, let's do this. You know, you don't really wonder if, oh, maybe they're a serial killer or something like that. You have no no access to find out these kinds of things. But now today we have these tools. I mean, I think that's kind of amazing. Before you get head deep into a relationship, you can kind of kind of figure out what's going on there. Oh, yeah. Once the relationship, you know, once you pass that first meeting couple of stages and you're dating a little bit, I think then it's worth it to, to throw 50 bucks or 100 bucks to, to see what kind of, if they have bankruptcies, if they have criminal mm-hmm. records. Is this someone you want, you know? Uh, around, you know, mm-hmm. yeah, you, you, you have to take a little bit of effort there. Yeah, um, I mean, and it's not. I mean, you said fifty hundred. That's not really a big investment, anyways, for somebody that has the the potential to alter the whole entire course of your life. So it's a worthwhile investment, I think. You know, a hundred dollars. So an emotional investment is, is much more uh, valuable, and it's much more um, uh, it's much more valuable to you personally. You know, if, mm-hmm. Listen, if you lose a hundred bucks or two hundred bucks or whatever, uh, sure you're upset. But if mm-hmm. your heart's broken, that can mess you up for a whole year, two years, you know. Uh, true, true. Yeah. Now, with with the whole using a private investigator for relationship matters, do you find that by the time somebody comes to you and says, you know, I want to see if my, my spouse is cheating or I want to see if my, my boyfriend is cheating, that it's already the relationship is already in disre- disrepair, there's already turmoil and trouble by the time somebody comes to you? I got These are great questions. These are excellent, excellent questions. And I really appreciate that. Um, mm-hmm. I'll tell you, yeah, when I get a phone call, um, I can talk to a client for 10 minutes, and I could tell if there's really infidelity going on, if the person's just overly jealous and they're imagining everything. Mm-hmm. Or a lot of times they're totally convinced. 
but they're totally convinced already. But in these relationships with, between a man and a woman, there's manipulation that goes on. And, mm-hmm. and the person who's doing wrong, the liar, is mm-hmm. so deep in that other person's head that they just have them thinking all backwards and all confused and stuff like that. And they just have them convinced not to believe their own eyesight. And they mm-hmm. want a third party to come in like me with a piece of paper and a document to say, look, here's the proof. Uh, so, but you're right. And, and a lot of times, too, you can see the problems in their relationship is mm-hmm. not that the person's cheating. It's just that the other person is just a nag and, and impossible to get along <laughs> with. <laughs> the person is just imp- is impossible to get along with. And is, you can see why the other person's cheating. Mm-hmm. it's just a miserable situation to deal with. Wow. Wow. So when somebody comes to you to, um, uh, since we're on the topic, investigate a spouse or whatever, what, what types of information do you require from them to kind of get started? Uh, the first thing I love to do is mm-hmm. uh, the online inf- infidelity investigation. Give me their email address and let's search all the online dating websites and social networks and see what we've come up with. You know, uh, about 10% of those or about 8% of those show up on gay sites. You know, so mm. let's see what we're dealing with. Uh, mm. Another thing I love to have is send me the, the cell phone. Let's see what mm-hmm. kind of text messages are on there. Send me the computer hard drive. If you can't give me the cell phone, sometimes, you know, people back up their cell phones to the computer. You True, can, yeah. You can, yeah, you can send me those backup files and we can recover deleted data out of there. So there's a whole, and we, and we don't know until you talk to the client, you know, and let's see what, what's available and what we can get. Wow. Wow. <laughs> Amazing. Yeah, and that makes you nervous, right? <laughs> <laughs> you know, I mean, it's just, it's just incredible. And, uh, you know, like I said, you know, from my end, you know, I do a lot of relationship work. So I'm I'm the part of the process where, you know, he's cheated or she's cheated. And, you know, how do we get past that? But you're that guy right before that point. And, uh, you know, it's just kind of kind of interesting how it all connects together there. Um, let's see here. I think before we get started, let's go ahead and take this uh, commercial break before we get started with the next part. Stay tuned with me. Uh, stay in there with me, Ed, and we'll be right back right after this. Let's return to Don't Box Me In with your host, Lana Reed. Hello, hello, hello. I am with author of How to Succeed as a Private Investigator, a step-by-step guide to career in investigations, Mr. Ed Opperman. And before the break, we were talking about different types of um, cases that he's involved in or the different type of services that he provides. And we were talking about the uh, cheating spouse, boyfriend or girlfriend. Um, but another area, you know, that you do help people with is that you help people find, um, you reunite people with loved ones, maybe runaways, lost loved ones, and you even help um, somebody who's ne- negligent on child support. Uh, how do you how do you assist people with these cases, these types of things? Well, there, there's a bunch of different categories in that. Uh, mm-hmm. Let's start with the the easy one, um, okay. where uh, you're just thinking of an old friend. You know, mm-hmm. uh, that guy from high school, and you go on Facebook, well, they're not there. <laughs> <You know? laughs> You Google their name. Well, they're not there. You know, you can't find. You know, you can't. You, well, maybe you find out the city they're in or something. Mm-hmm. Um, I do. I have my website, emailrevealer.com, dot com, has one of those people searches, and you just pop their information in there. Their their name, their date of birth. Hopefully, if you got that, or their approximate age, the last city you knew they lived in, and mm-hmm. it's a, a nice simple database search. 
mm-hmm. uh, where if you're lucky, if you come up with their current address or previous address, you can send a postcard, mail them, or get a phone number and call them up. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's just the basic. Then you got the ones that are a little more complicated. Mm-hmm. Uh, you're trying to find somebody who uh, owes you money. <laughs> you know, they're not gonna, they're not gonna yeah, they don't want to be found. Yeah, no. There you go. Yes, and those are called skip trace investigation, investigations. <laughs> and you got to do a little bit more work on that. Okay, I'm going to mail stuff to their previous addresses, try and trick them into telling mm-hmm. me where they are. I'm going to call their neighbors. I'm going to call their employers um, for a uh, child custody kind of thing, or not custody, child support. Uh, we may need to find out where their employment is so we can mm-hmm. locate their current place of employment. Um, and uh, so then you can do that income execution, you know, try and find mm-hmm. out what their employment is, their salary, you know, figure out what the child support's going to be. Okay. Uh, then you got the runaways and the bail jumpers and those kind of guys. Okay. And uh, I've had a lot of success with these runaway kids because they're on their emails all the time and on their phones all the time. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, again, invented uh, a method where I can email this kid and when he opens up the email, I can see where he is when he opens it up. Hmm. And Yeah, and you, you could track him down that way. Um, I've had missing persons where I emailed them. They open up the email at a, at a hotel, like a Hampton Inn, you know? Mm-hmm. And I said, well, there's only four Hampton Inns in that, in that city. Quick, you know, get over there and search every one. We find them there. Uh, I had one. I had done the Dr. Drew show um, on TV, and this woman called me up right after the show, and she said, my son just wandered away from a psychiatric institution. Uh, can mm. we find him? I emailed this kid. We found him in 20 minutes. 20 Good minutes. Out. Wow. He was, at a, he was at a GameStop fooling around on the games in there, you know, one of those <laughs> video game players. <laughs> and boom, we got him right away. So, uh, yeah, I love that. And again, with the bail jumpers, too, they, these guys, uh, you can catch them with the email traces and stuff. You can ping mm-hmm. their cell phones, all kind of stuff you can do. Now, is it is it different? Because I'm assuming, you know, with your bail jumpers, so there's some sort of criminal activity. I mean, these people know how to kind of go undercover and underground. Is it is it difficult to find some some pe- people or can somebody always be found? With enough time and money, you can find anybody. That's for sure. OK. okay? Uh, some cases are more difficult than others. But you'd be surprised. Uh, bail jumpers, are, people are creatures of habit. You know? mm-hmm. And even a bail jumper, they're going to go get their hair cut at the same place. They're going to use the same dry cleaners. Even if the FBI is looking for him, even mm. if the U.S. Marshal's knocking on his door, <laughs> people look up to the same places. It's crazy. Um, so, and uh, you can trick them. You know, you can trick. Them. We were finding bail jumpers and stuff way back, uh, back in the beeper days when they'd be calling. You know, we'd beep them and they'd call back from my payphone. We'd still find them. No way. No way. Yeah. <laughs> Not the most intelligent of criminals, I must say, then, huh? <laughs> well, you know, no, your, your average criminal now is not very intelligent at all. <laughs> the idea of, you know, these poor guys, you know, and half of them are just, they just get caught up in the system and there's just no hope of getting out. Gosh, okay. Yeah. Too bad. Now, you have uh, had the uh, pleasure or... Uh, I don't know if maybe you want to call it, but you've been involved in a lot of celebrity high profile cases. Uh, can you share some of those with us? Oh, boy. Yeah. There's, uh, the ones I can share are the ones that uh, are already in the news. Okay. And uh, we've already done press releases on them, you know, and some, some of these cases were designed uh, to do press releases, mm-hmm. uh, like the whole uh, Tiger Woods uh, infidelity situation. Mm-hmm. Um, when the first woman came forward, the uh, inquirer, the National Enquirer, caught her cheating with Tiger Woods. Um, they negotiated a settlement with Woods, and she got a big, big chunk of money. Mm-hmm. 
So after that, all these other women started coming out of the woodwork saying, hey, I dated Tiger Woods too. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so did I, so did I. <laughs> <laughs> so the, the lawyers and the, the press agent and the, the celebrity managers came to me, and it was my job to vet out all these women and, and figure out who really had a relationship with Woods and who didn't. Mm. So that was like my first big taste at a, a big, giant 24-hour news media uh, uh, story. Um, where well, let me let me ask you real yeah. quick. Um, sure. Exactly with with the Tiger Woods thing. Exactly what were you doing? Were you you were not working for Tiger on Tiger Woods side? I'm assuming you were working on the other side. So you were yeah. part of the process of uh, confirming that Tiger Woods was having all of these affairs. Yeah, because there was so much media attention that there was a lot of money to be made if you were a Tiger Woods mistress. Okay, uh, you get, okay. You, you can get movie deals. You can they did the pornos. They had books. They had TV appearances, stripper club appearances. Um, so all these women were coming forward. We just needed to prove who was and who wasn't. So gotcha. That became my job. We checked their phone records. We checked their cell phones until we found some kind of uh, uh, scrap of, of evidence. Okay. They could be called an alleged mistress. And the reason why there's only 15 uh, alleged mistresses out there is because I just got tired of doing it. I just came up because <laughs> <laughs> I think I could be doing that full time for the rest of my life. Oh, <laughs> wow. Tiger is not, you're not Tiger's best friend. I can tell you that now, huh? <laughs> uh, I, made a lot of, I made a lot of enemies in this business, that's for sure. <laughs> okay, okay. And you've also worked on a couple of other, a few other uh, high profile cases, uh, if you can share. Sure. Well, another big one that was again for the media, uh, where my client was the press agent, was the, the you know the publicist, uh, was the Ashton Kutcher case. Uh, the mm-hmm. first woman who came forward was named Brittany Jones, and uh, she had all these allegations that she was with Ashton Kutcher, and mm-hmm. uh, everyone said, oh, 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 she's lying, she's making it up, poo, poo, poo. Uh, mm-hmm. But she sent me her phone, and uh, we recovered out of that phone. She was a young model type girl, mm-hmm. and this girl, we recovered three thousand deleted pictures out of her phone mm. which i think is a record that we've never <laughs> we've never had a phone with 3,000 pictures or 3,000 deleted pictures but wow. we did a report for her and one of the pictures we've covered up we recovered was a picture of uh a caller id entry in her phone pointed at the mirror that said ashton kutcher with a 310 uh, area code uh, phone number Mm. Uh, uh, right. So, but what happened was, uh, his press agents and his uh, media team were so powerful that they just dismissed her as a liar. Even though we had really good solid, we had text messages, we had really good solid proof. Um, but it wasn't until the second woman came forward who said, "Hey, I cheated with uh, Ashton Kutcher too," that then they got the divorce and all the separation stuff like that. And now everybody admits that the first woman was telling the truth. Brittany Jones, my client. Wow. You know, and now that I'm thinking, you know, so we've had two uh, cases that you've mentioned where the person was actually um, cheating or, you know, got caught with their pants down, so to speak. Uh, but I do remember um, there was a celebrity incident with maybe like Justin Bieber. And there was this lady came out and she said, oh, you know, I'm pregnant with his child or whatever. Somebody could retain your services to prove that he wasn't with his pants down. I mean, so it could work both ways, hiring a private investigator to prove guilt or innocence. I was actually involved in that case as well. Uh, It wasn't a a public case. Um, I was contacted to pick her up, scoop her up real quick, because, you know, they were uh, descending on her. (laughs) The media's like the enemy, man. These paparazzi are unbelievable. And they were like descending on her, you know, and I had to go Mm -hmm. in there real quick and scoop her up and get her out of there and get her to a polygraph office where she could take a polygraph uh, to confirm these uh, allegations. And that's an interesting uh, example, because a lot of these stories that you don't see on, they they never hit the news. 
Mm-hmm. I'll get a call early in the morning. Ed, get that up, pick up, get that up, polygraph, and then you go in, and it, tonight, by the way, it's going to be a major story. It's going to be all over the news, and you hear these stories, and it's going to be a big story if it comes out. But somehow, by the end of the night, it's all hushed up, and everyone's mm. happy. Everyone goes home with a paycheck, and, and it's another day at work. Wow. I guess your yeah. your publicist is a very powerful person in Hollywood. Oh, yeah. Not just I, – I deal with a bunch of them. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. But publicists, yeah. Uh, they control what comes out at night on TMZ and Radar Online and all this stuff. Uh, and it's like flipping a switch. They can silence a story, uh, and it doesn't get out anywhere. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So in your, your celebrity cases – it is the um, the celebrity that contacts you, or is it some sort of media-driven? Um, both. both. Uh, okay. A, I had a client, uh, uh, Baba Bowie, from the Howard Stern Show. Yeah. And mm-hmm. uh, what happened with him was um, he was a victim of a cyberstalking type case, and uh, he was trying to get appointed to a Parks Com- Department commission in Connecticut, and somebody didn't want him to get this position, so they sent out this horrible email with these crazy accusations and we were able to prove right away that it was a fake email it was just created a couple of minutes before all these emails were sent out we traced it back to the location it was sent from and and that was enough that satisfied uh, uh, this parks commission department that gary was a good guy and did no wrong um Oh, there's a bunch of them. There's a whole bunch. Wienergate. I was involved in Wienergate. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that one was uh, that was an yeah. interesting case. Well, yeah, it really was. You know, and it, it did. It turns around the election. You know. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> so sometimes yeah. it's the celebrities. Sometimes it's the the paparazzi or the the media hires me or the press agents or it's all over the place. Okay. Okay. So do you have? Um, Reflecting back, do you have a particular case that kind of stands out in your mind? Yeah, I think the one with the Sarah Palin and Todd Palin. Uh, my client was a uh, a young uh, woman in Alaska who was a massage therapist. Uh, she had a, a child with uh, special needs, and she was really struggling financially. And she went on to start giving these—I guess you call them happy endings, you know. Mm-hmm. And uh, she was running this little—you uh, know—she fell on hard times, and she was desperate. Mm-hmm. And uh, she was running this little business out of, of a Craigslist ad, you know. And what happened was, according to her, one of her clients was Todd Palin uh, mm. coming to visit her. Yeah. So well, one day, uh, there's a knock at the door, and there's 30 police officers, FBI with machine guns, and Department of Homeland Security, uh, all to arrest a young mother uh, from her Craigslist ad of uh, uh, giving massages with happy endings, okay? Mm-hmm. <laughs> happy endings. <laughs> and, and, and machi- well, that, that day wasn't a happy ending. They came in with machine guns to terrify this poor woman. Uh, but the, so anyway, they questioned her. Hey, we know you're involved with this and big celebrities with politicians, you know, and big high-profile people. And she kept her mouth shut. Um, she was arrested. Um, she was convicted of prostitution. Um, mm-hmm. But she sold her story to the National Enquirer. Mm-hmm. And uh, uh, they reneged on her payment. Now, she took four polygraph examinations from the National Enquirer uh, mm-hmm. given by ex-FBI agents. She passed every single one. Uh, the mm-hmm. Palins never uh, um, denied any of her allegations. Mm-hmm. But what happened was the police chief of Anchorage, Alaska, went and did a press conference and issued a press release where he said, well, we looked into all these allegations of Todd Palin and stuff like that, and we examined her computer and her hard drive and her cell phone and her documents. We could find no evidence of anything. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then later on, he admits 
that he didn't even write that press release. Sarah Palin's attorney wrote that press release. And so wow. Yeah. This case went on and on. But there was no one helping this young lady in Alaska, by the way. When I was mm-hmm. contacted about this, I, we, we were terrified. I mean, I've been involved mm-hmm. in a lot of stuff with mafia guys, uh, but we were terrified to get involved in this. Yeah. And uh, we helped her out. Um, ultimately, um, I did examine all her stuff, all, all her stuff. We had took a lot of photographs, and it escalated into a congressional investigation because she knew the, the Secret Service agent who went down to Columbia and didn't pay that prostitute in Columbia mm-hmm, mm-hmm. did the same thing to her in Alaska. She knew him. She knew the whole story. She, as soon as that story came out in, in Columbia, she said, that's the guy. I know that guy. So mm. no one knew he, he, right. So and it all it confirmed everything. We, we presented evidence before Congress, and uh, that was probably the one of my biggest uh, cases that I could talk about. That's in the news. Wow. I mean, and you know, especially when you're you're dealing with politicians and stuff like that, it's it is your inclination as a, a low life citizen to just believe that they're going to do right, but to understand that there's so much corruption and how they try to tilt things, you know, like you said, um, that was Sarah Palin's people that sent out that press release under the guise of being the, the police. I mean, that's just amazing that you would even have the gall, the gumption to do something like that. Oh, I'm familiar with, with political corruption way back from the eighties, <laughs> man. I, 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 mean, I am no, <laughs> I am no stranger to political corruption. I met Giuliani when he was a prosecutor. He was a prosecutor in the Pizza Connection Whoa. case. Yeah, oh, and then I met him later on when he was running for mayor. You know, so on the other side, we were friends. <laughs> Too funny. Okay, we're going to take our last break of the day. When I come back, I want to talk more about your book. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. Welcome back to Don't Box Me In. Here's your host, Lana Reed. Hello. As it says, I am Lana Reed, and this is Don't Box Me In. And today I have been with uh, celebrity investigator to the stars, Mr. Ed Opperman. And you have written a book called How to Succeed as a Private Investigator, a step-by-step guide to a career in investigations. So, Ed, um, tell me, what will the reader find in this book? First thing you're going to find is a, a little bio, a little biography about my life and, and some of my cases and growing up and things and different businesses and stuff. Um and then you're going to find uh, if you if you think you're going to be uh, if this is a fit for you if this is going to be the kind of thing you want to get into, um, mm-hmm. and then uh, state by state licensing, uh, all kinds of detailed stuff, but also too step by step instructions, not just for the, uh, someone who wants to get into the business, but if you're already in this business and you want to learn how to do asset searches, or you want to learn how to trace an email back to the sender or you want to learn how to do an employment locator, get a name and address from a P.O. box, step by step on how to do this. What happened was I'm a member of a lot of these online uh, email groups of other PIs and stuff, mm-hmm. retired FBI, retired CIA, all this stuff. And so many times, like someone would say, okay, I need a name and address from an email address. And these guys, these old timers, you know, I'm 52, but they're old timers, okay? <laughs> <laughs> they would chime in, ah, I can't be done, ah, but now, yeah, I need a subpoena, you can't do it without a subpoena. So, you know, I started out writing articles saying, hey, you know, it can, you can get these names without a subpoena. You can do asset mm-hmm. searches that are compliant with the Fair Credit Reporting Act. Uh, so then I finally got fed up and I wrote the book. I put it all in a big book. <laughs> <laughs> you know, because I can't argue with the whole world, right? I wrote the book once and then if they want to argue with me, buy the book. <laughs> argue with the book. 
So that's pretty much it. You're gonna, you'll find out if it's the career for you, and uh, once okay. you're in the business, you'll know how to get licensed, how to get started, and then once you're in the business, step-by-step step, how to make a living. Okay, okay. Now tell me this. Now, if you feel the need in your life at some point in time to hire a private investigator, um, what kind of questions did you ask somebody before hiring their or taking on their services? That's in the book, too. Um, what I would start with is, uh, depending on what, you, what your situation is, a lot of times mm-hmm. you should have a lawyer before you hire an investigator. Uh, your lawyer in town, if you have a good trusted lawyer, you can get that, that far, or an accountant, a good trusted accountant. These guys should know who a good investigator is. Um, mm-hmm. When you're talking to them, you want someone who can run the whole gamut for you. If, if they start telling you right away, okay, we're going to do a surveillance job for you. Um, mm-hmm. You want someone who can start off the case and be the same investigator from the beginning of the case to the end of the case. Uh, so that uh, are they well-rounded? Can they do an asset search as well as the forensics? Can they do the surveillance as well as the background reports? Um, because you don't want to be having three or four different investigators. You got to give each one a retainer, and then they're mm-hmm. not going to get all, they're not going to get along with each other. I can tell you right now, <laughs> they're not going to work. They're not going to work like a team for you. You know. So. <laughs> Is there some sort of, you know, I know with lawyers, you can go to some sort of board and you can kind of see, you know, who has disciplinary action. Is there some sort of like a, a board or something for private investigators where you can check and get a referral or a recommendation? Yeah, almost every state almost every state has the PI board, the, uh, the licensing board. You can check with them. Okay. Now, part of the okay. problem with that, too, though, is when you make an inquiry sometimes, it's, it's, uh, it logs as a negative inquiry into the PI's record. So that that's... okay. That's kind of the last resort kind of thing. There's a lot of uh, PI associations in every state that don't have PI associations. Um, but again, the referral, and they'll give you referrals too, but a lot of times, too, with them, they're referring each other and their own little buddies and stuff. Um, okay. The best way to get a referral is from a lawyer, uh, a, a cop in town who, who is a, a, you know, who uh, deals with the testifying court quite a bit, you know, and they can tell you mm-hmm. who's real and who's not and who's, uh, who's active and who has a good reputation. Now, how does that play out? Because, you know, sometimes Hollywood kind of distorts it. The relationship between PIs and actual police force, is it as really conflicted as the media makes it, or do they work hand in hand? Uh, a lot of cops, when they retire, will become PIs. Mm-hmm. So they get along great with the cops. But <laughs> 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 so then you got a lot of PIs who get into the business because they, they started working for other PIs and they went and worked for defense lawyers and stuff like that. Um, and they don't get along with the cops or the retired cops. Uh, so it, it's just like any other business, you know, you have everything. Um, I don't expect any special favors from cops uh, or anything. Uh, I work with the police. Um, a lot of my work with the police, though, is trying to, is either criminal defense work or trying to get them to help my client. My client has legitimate complaints. They're making police reports, and they're not getting the, the, the satisfaction, the results out of the police department that they want. And I can go in there friendly. I'm a friendly guy. You know, I joke around, mm-hmm. right? And I, I go in there. I, I help them with a the report. I, I create a rapport with the investigators that are working the case, but I also hold them accountable because mm-hmm. there's certain times when you have to send them a letter that they have to sign for. That, you know, oh. just to get everybody on the same level, you know, say, hey, listen, I'm watching you. I'm a nice guy, but, you know, listen. Another thing, too, is because I have this kind of, I have my own radio show. I do a lot of interviews. I read a book, and I'm all over the place, is that I can kind of uh, put that media spotlight on a case gotcha. as well. Gotcha. We had a case real quick. These two 12-year-old girls in California that wandered away from school, and uh, it was a big story in the news, but it wasn't until the family hired us 
and we were going to do the forensics. Once the cops found out that we were getting their hard drive and their cell phone, they found those kids the next day. The mm. next yeah. So you can put some pressure on the cops. Wow. Because, you know, that's what I'm thinking. You know, if you're like, for instance, you're saying the missing missing persons case. So I have been contacting the police department doing what I'm supposed to be doing as a loved one. You know, and I want to know, you know, I'm down there every day. What are you doing? What are you doing? What's the status of the case? The status of the case. Police officers are like, no, you know, we're working on it. We're not telling you anything. So then I, I hire Ed and Ed goes in there. And how easy is it for Ed to to get the police officers to turn over their files to explain to oh. them exactly where they're at in the case and yada yada yada? I mean, is that a difficult thing to do? Yeah, um, I can't go storming in there and uh, <laughs> demanding. <laughs> you know, demanding like, you need police. to tell <laughs> me what you're doing. <laughs> you, you can't do it, there. and you don't really want to be down there nagging every day either. But you want mm-hmm. people don't even know when you make a police report. Two uniformed cops show up. Half the time, people don't even know that that's being referred to a detective. You have to find out who that detective is investigating the case, contact him, and create a rapport. Not a nagging rapport where he doesn't want to pick up the phone every time you call. You want, to, you want him to like you, to, to be mm-hmm. working on your case, but also to be held accountable. Uh, so th- there's certain things we can create a report. If I can come up with something, if it's a long uh, a case that's taking a long time, a fraud case or something like mm-hmm. that, okay? If I can come up with a new bit of evidence, and we sent it to the cops, and they have to sign for my letter, for my FedEx letter or whatever. Now mm-hmm. there's a guy over there on the hook for it. They have to take action on what I'm doing. So even if it's only a new bit of evidence in a long-standing case, um, it gives them that motivation, the incentive to reopen, to work on it. And also, too, because they, they don't want me to show them up. You know, it's, <laughs> it's just a lot of personality involved, you know? Gotcha, gotcha. Who is this guy? You know, we're we're exactly. supposed to be solving this. Who is this guy that came out of nowhere and, you know, put all the T's and the I's together? So I, I, I understand. I understand. Good stuff. So your book, uh, tell the audience, where can they get a copy of your book? You get the book at Amazon, of course. There's a Kindle version. Um, uh, the name is Ed Opperman. You go on Amazon. There's also, a, uh, if you go to my website, emailrevealer.com, and you order it from there, I'll autograph it to you, Okay. And, you know, sooner or later, you know, I'll be on the front page of the paper. Everybody's going to catch it. There'll be some value to it. But I'll autograph to you. The only thing is it takes a little bit longer because, you know, we had so much response to the sale of this book. I went on Coast to Coast AM with George Norrie. And uh, so the books that people order through the website directly, it was like that episode of I Love Lucy where they've got the mayonnaise jar. (laughs) (laughs) Trying to get these books out. We're ordering books. And we got to order new books the next day because they're just, Get, the uh, just crazy. Oh, well, yeah, thank God. Uh, yeah, God, I know. That know. is such yeah. a blessing, such a no, blessing. That's blessed, good stuff. Yeah. That's good stuff. Okay, so uh, we are almost at the end here. I want people to uh, know. Uh, give me real quick. How do people get in touch with you if they need your services? Yeah, best way is the website, emailrevealer.com. Uh, and there's a contact us button on there. There's a phone number on there. Um, you can email me at oppermaninvestigations at gmail.com and uh, it's easy to find me if you google my name Ed Opperman yeah okay good stuff Ed Opperman and uh, don't forget to pick up the book How to Succeed as a Private Investigator a step-by-step guide to a career in investigations and uh, Ed you, you have been so entertaining today I thank you thank you so much for hanging out with me thank you you're, you're a doll I had a lot of fun <laughs> You know, I usually get that from New Yorkers. I'm such a doll. I thank you. I appreciate that. <laughs> I say, you picture, say you're cute. <laughs>
<laughs> that is all for this week's show. Uh, I'll be back next week at the same time. Until then, remember when it comes to your dreams, the words can't and won't should never slow you down. There is always space to change and to grow. Don't be boxed in. Live your very best life. I am your host, Lana Reed. I'll see you next week.